Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Welcome, welcome. Today is a special edition of the Understanding Jesus podcast. We are going to be going through a lot of great readings, but the reason why it's a special edition is because it's kind of a snow day. I'm the only one in the studio today. So uh, today is a day where uh, Daniel and Josh are, um, they're not taking a sabbatical. They're, they just start snowed in at home. I was able to make it out, make it into our studio and uh, be able to do the podcast. So today it is me, Pastor Troy, walking you through uh, the reading for today. And it is uh, an incredible week of reading. It's always an incredible week of reading. But uh, for this week, we went through uh, Psalm 19 and 20 and 21 and Matthew 23 through Matthew 26 and Exodus, uh, the latter, the later chapters of the book of Exodus, and so quite a bit uh, to cover. So we'll be right back, and we will start just get into talking about what God showed us in our reading for this week. So we'll be right back. Welcome back, and uh, we are um, coming back to you with the um, podcast. Again, it's a special edition. Uh, It's just me, Pastor Troy, here uh, doing the podcast today, looking at what God reveals to us through the Word this week and some really uh, potent passages in Matthew as we are getting ready to walk through the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's always it's uh, it's you know if you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ the movie the Passion of the Christ it's it's always very compelling it's such a difficult thing to watch uh, and and sometimes difficult to read even when I get to that portion of scripture and walk through it it does it breaks my heart each and every time uh, as I as I get there but uh, today we're going to look at uh, a, a couple of passages a few passages of Matthew and we'll also look back in Exodus but uh, I wanted to share something from Proverbs. It says, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. The word tells us the wages of sin is death. And, uh, and the writer of Proverbs is sharing this with us to let us know that when we are enticed to, in, into sin, we seem to be oblivious to this truth that the sin is going to kill us. We get caught up with the focus of that pleasure or whatever we can gain from it. We start focusing on, on what we have that would benefit the, the feel good or the or the relief or whatever, whatever the sin is. I mean, you think of anything that you are enticed to do that God says, absolutely do not do this. If you, if God says, do not do this and you do it, the penalty for doing that is death. And, and so you think, well, I didn't die. Well, you are dying. 
and we are all dying. And death, and, and every time, think of it this way, every time you look and see death all around us in the world around us, it's a result of these decisions on a regular basis. You have billions of people on the planet who are constantly earning death. If the wages of sin is death, that we are all this is this is what we are reaping over and over again every day. That is why death surrounds us. We are inundated with it. We live in a culture of death, and we were not supposed to. I mean, obviously, this is not what the Garden of Eden was supposed to be uh, like. It was it was supposed to be a place where um, death didn't touch us, and we just got to enjoy the riches of God's world that He gave to us, and so forth, and. And I think we all keep thinking, the world keeps thinking, that's what we want to get back to or what we want to achieve. We want to get to a place. They don't think getting back to it. They think we're progressing toward a Garden of Eden. They think that as a, as a, a result of evolution that we will evolve into a Garden of Eden. But we won't. We had it. We lost it. And we can't get it back uh, except through redemption. And, uh, and that's why the, the trek that the world's on is leading to death. It's, it's, just, it's just continually trying something that will fail over and over and over again and has been proven throughout history. The as civilizations that are created, uh, all the people when governments are made and set up and the purpose is, is to try to create something that will recreate some form of a Garden of Eden can't be done and, and continually is a consequence. But on an individual basis... This is this is what happens to us on a daily basis. The trap is set. There is the enemy comes, he sets the trap, the snare is there, and we are ignorant of the consequence. We see it, we know it just like a, just like an animal drawn to the bait. Uh, we see it, we want it, and it's shiny or it looks like it'll taste good or feel good or whatever. We're drawn into it, and then we have we go for it, and then whether we are ignorant of the consequence or not. It's nevertheless, it's, it's real. And and so once we have it, once we've got it, then death, uh, death again comes for us. So how are we not all dead? What saves us from this death? Well, what saves us from death is just simply the grace of God. God's grace is extended to us to allow us an opportunity to give us time in order for us to hear the good news about Jesus Christ and to put our faith in Jesus so that we will not have to be dead forever. And uh, and so the escape from death is through Jesus Christ. So so we we've taken the bait. We've obviously when we do this and we've done it over and over and over again. Not only have we just kind of earned a little death, we've all earned death every day of our lives for as long as we've been alive. That's all we've done. We've just wages we've we've earned and earned and earned and earned. If you want to think we're, we're rich in death. <laughs> We we have we have we have brought upon ourselves more death than we could ever uh, than we could ever pay back for all eternity, and uh, and so Jesus delivers us from that, and so that's that's the great part about our faith in Jesus Christ is He delivers us from death. He is the deliverer from death. He paid the price for our death, and uh, the the wages of sin is death, and Jesus paid those wages. He paid the He paid our sin debt. And so uh, we are now uh, free to be alive. So, it, so all this is, you know, we all try to hang on to what we have here, but uh, what we what we need is to be set free from here. We need to be we need to be set free from this, released from it, so that we can have a life to come. 
uh, not the one that currently exists. And people who are trying to hang on to what they currently this this one is dead. It's it's like hanging on to something that it may still have life in it or may look have the appearance of life to it, but it is as good as dead. And uh, and so we have to let it go and receive the life that Christ has for us, and which is an act of faith. But uh, but that's what the enemy does. He convinces us one that the wages of sin is not death, that it won't kill us. And then he tries to convince us that we're not going to die, that we are. In fact, that's what he tells Eve. You surely will not die. Uh, but we all know that was wrong because Eve did die. And uh, and so will all of us. And so the release from that death is the grace of Jesus Christ. So so anyway, that's uh, that's I started with that proverb. I wanted to start with that proverb. Um, looking at Exodus, I wanted to uh, – Josh said something about – um, Exodus 34, and I'm going to start with that because that's really it's an awesome part. I think I had something written about Exodus 34. Yes, I did. Josh, I had that same passage marked in my Bible, uh, in my journal. So I'm going to turn to Exodus chapter 34, uh, verse 6. Even though Josh isn't here, he sent me a message. I'm so appreciative of that. He's doing what I wish everybody would do, and that's sending me messages. Exodus 34, verse 6. It says this. Um, let me start with verse 5. It says, The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, meaning Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Um, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, uh, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. Then he said, my Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. And Joshua said the character of God is claimed here by himself. His message has never changed. He is the only consistent thing throughout all time. He loves and forgives, but is just and right. And then I also, I he was highlighting that verses six and seven. I, I highlighted verses eight and nine when he says, when no one else would intercede on behalf of the people, Moses did. Uh, even though God spoke to him as a friend, Moses still bowed his head humbling himself before God and worshiping him. We are to cry out to God that he will not depart from us and realize we cannot go into his promised land without him or without his blessing. Moses identifies himself with his people and speaks on their behalf, and God hears him. We always need to be interceding and always remembering that our lives are not our own. I am the inheritance of Christ and belong to him for his glory. We we need to always be willing. God God is holy and and is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and maintains his faithful love to a thousand generations. Isn't that an amazing statement? Forgiving iniquity, rebellion and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. And therefore he 
ask for someone to stand uh, or he, he's he calls people out to stand in place of those who are guilty and Moses is the one who intercedes who steps in and really Moses is just acting here as a type of Christ he's not he's not going to be the ultimate one who stands in he just he says if lord if i can if i can stand in here paul does that paul says you know if it, if you could take me but the only person who can truly do this the only person who can truly be the one who steps in and takes our place is Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus does this. Jesus steps in and and uh, and in the place of Moses, in the place of Paul, in the place of us. I mean, when you and I intercede, when we say, God, when we see somebody who is sinning and so forth, and we step in before God, and we intercede for them and say, God, please do not hold their sin against them. Uh, find, the, Please show them your graciousness. Please show them your love and truth. Um, please do not punish them as a result of their sin, but instead show mercy and grace, forgive their sin. When we do that, we do that only because we have access to the throne through Jesus Christ. Jesus hears our prayer, goes to the Father, and through his holiness, through his righteousness, uh, he is the one who then is at the right hand of God and makes our prayers effective. And so uh, he takes our calling to him. We have this relationship through Christ because uh, he has given it to us. He's established this friendship with him. And so we go to him, and then he takes our request and then goes for it. And this is what he says. He says, whatever you ask, whatever you ask in my name, I will go to the Father, and I will, and I will get it done. Basically, I, I will I will take your request and, and make it known to God and make it done. If it is in accordance with what, what you know, this is a covenant that we have. We are in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. We've uh, when we take communion, we we take we drink the wine as a remembrance of the, of the blood of of His new covenant. That we have this covenant between Him and us, uh, and 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 that's what. Um, well, in, in verse 10 of chapter 34, he says, And the Lord responded, Look, I am making a covenant. I will perform wonders in the presence of all your people that have never been done in the whole earth or in any nation. All the people you live among will see the Lord's work, for what I am doing with you is awe-inspiring. Observe what I command you today. I am going to drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hethites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with the inhabitants of the land that you are going to enter. Otherwise, they will become a snare among you. Instead, you must tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, and chop down their Asherah poles. Because the Lord is jealous for his reputation, you are never to bow down to another god. He is a jealous god. And so God is establishing this this covenant with these people and saying, here are the things I want you to observe to set you apart and uh, and so this is the relationship we're going to have, and I will protect you, and I will see that you get to where you're going through this covenant, and uh, and protect you and provide for you if you will be obedient to the covenant that we've established. Now, now Jesus comes and says, I I have a new covenant I'm going to give to you through my blood, and uh, and so the blood of the, the treaty that I have with you. Uh, and he says, is that if you will obey my commandments, then then we will be, then we'll have a relationship with one another. And so he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he says, this is my commandment, that you love others as I have loved you. Now, here's the beautiful part about it. Jesus comes, he walks with his disciples, he talks to his disciples, he teaches them. And what he's teaching them, he's saying, this is how I love you. This is how I 
God love you. And so he's teaching them how God loves us and, and by how he deals with children and how he deals with widows, how he deals with orphans, how he deals with the hungry, how he deals with those who are sick and afflicted, how he deals with the people who are blind, how he deals with Pharisees, how he deals with Sadducees, how he deals with the rulers of the world. In all these interactions, he is revealing, and his interactions with them, uh, he is revealing, this is how I love you. And so then he says, now here's the command. Now that I've shown you how I love, I want you to go and love other people as I have loved you. Um, and that's the, that's the covenant. And so we, we then, through following Christ, we love other people as he loves us. Now he told us, here's how, as followers, yeah, we make a commitment to follow him. We are baptized um, to show that we are followers of Jesus Christ, but then the the actual working out of that salvation is uh, we're now then filled with his Holy Spirit, empowered by him to do the works that he was put here to do. And then as we do those works, we are uh, we are now being in covenant relationship with him. And so he goes before us. And so when he says, now you ask me anything, I would do it. He's basically saying, if you come to a Red Sea that needs to be parted, I'll part that Red Sea. If you need to come, if the Jordan needs to be dried up, I'll dry up the Jordan. If you come to walls of Jericho and they need to fall down, I'll tear down the walls. The same way that I got my people everywhere they needed to go and did everything that needed to be done in the Old Testament, everything that needed to be done in the New Testament, the same way I did all those things, I do those things today, uh, and I want I want to do it in a way. So he says, I will perform wonders in the presence of all your people that have never been done in all the earth or in any nation. And the people you live among will see the Lord's work. For what I am doing with you is all inspiring. That is the same God who works with us today, and how He reveals Himself. Uh, to other people as well. It will, when we are being obedient and walking in covenant with the Lord, it will be awe-inspiring. And uh, and so anyway, so just, yes, amazing, amazing things that God is revealing to us, showing to us um, through his reading this time. Now, in Matthew, um, looking at Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 47, he says, who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. Now, I'm going to, that was out of my journal, but I'm going to look up that in Matthew chapter 24. Um, Matthew 24, I'll read it from a little bit. That was from the New King James Version. I'm going to read it from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, in Matthew 24, verse 45. Um, let me say, back up, verse 36. He says, Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this. If the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why 
you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master has put in charge of his household, to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom, he, his, whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, that servant's master will come in a, on a day he does not expect him and an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, um, this is, um, we are shown that those who are true followers of Christ will be found to be faithful. Uh, the hypocritical, or those pretending to be disciples, will be caught unprepared when Jesus returns. Evidence of our salvation rests in being where we need to be doing what we need to be, what we need to do, revealing our faithfulness to the master. Now, uh, here's what that means. When we are doing what God wants us to do and being faithful to him, that is the assurance of our salvation. Not uh, not a moment that you have in time when you say, I, I put my trust in Jesus and I'm going to be a faithful follower of him. That is not what saves us. That would be like saying, if uh, here's a list of words to say, and if you say these words in this correct order, then you will be saved. No, that's, that's not how we are saved. We are saved through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That means that God reads our hearts and knows whether we are entering into a covenant relationship with him. And when we desire to give up the life that we have and receive the life we have, when we repent, I do not want to live the life I was living. I do not want to continue to go the direction I was going. I want to now go to God and not away from God. Now, God knows our hearts, and when we when we believe in our hearts that Jesus is who he says, that he's my only hope for salvation, and then I confess with my mouth, now I want to follow him, then he regenerates me, makes me new, and the way I know that that has happened, I, the way I know my heart really was genuine and wanting that and desiring that, and that God saw that my heart was genuine and really wanted that, is that he changes me, he makes me new, and he turns, that he moves me to him. He gives me the ability to repent. He gives me the ability to walk, and he, he gives me newness of life. And so now in my changed person, now I begin to be the faithful steward. I am the faithful and wise servant whom my master has put in charge of the household and will be doing that job when he comes. That's perseverance. He who started a good work in me will be faithful to complete it, meaning that that way I know that I belong to God is he does. When I start to go a different direction, the Holy Spirit intervenes, comes into my life and moves me back where he, where he needs me to go. The way you know you are a follower of Christ, the way you know you are a child of God is that your father in heaven will not let you leave. He will not let you walk away from him. He will not let you go a different direction. He, he intervenes. He moves in just like you would with your own children. If you had a child who was walking into danger, even if they wanted to go into danger, you wouldn't let them go. You may let them go a little bit to teach them a lesson if there was a learning opportunity. But if it was something devastating, 
you would correct it. You would move them back the other way. And uh, and if it was something that was dishonorable or wrong or disobedient and there needed to be discipline, you would discipline them because they're your children. And that's how we know we are also followers of God. But the overarching story of our life should be that we see the works of God. We see the works of Christ being manifested in our lives toward others. We see him working out his will through us into the lives of other people. This is how we know that we are followers. Um, the other part will come back when the questions about the no one knows the day or the hour, because that's that's more of a question and answer uh, part. But we'll we'll look at that in a second. But before we leave Matthew... Uh, I wanted to look in Matthew 25 um, and verse 29. Let me turn there real quick. Matthew 25. I'm sorry, the page won't turn. There it is. Uh, Matthew 25, and it says, looking back, verse 29. Um, Well, this is kind of a similar similar theme that we're in here, uh, going with here. Um, and yes, make sure I'm looking at the right passage there. Yeah. Okay. Um, verse 24, it says, um, well, he tells a parable of talents first. And so if, I don't want to read the whole thing, but anyway, master comes and he gives five talents to one, two talents to another, one talent. And, and this is the part that he says, he says, depending on each one's ability, then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man who earned two more. But the but the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Um, and then go to the end. It says, then he says, um, uh, well, the one who had given five, I'm trying to summarize here. The one who had given five, uh, earned five. The one who had given two, earned two. And each of those, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, and uh, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. And we, again, I'm going to cover this in question and answer, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on that because it kind of deals with what we were just talking about. Um he says, uh, but take the talent from him and give it to the one that had one who buried it. Uh, he said, you evil, lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I return. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right. And on his right, and the goats on the left, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
And this is Jesus, again, rounding it out full circle. He's made, he makes his commandment, says, this is my, what I command you, that you love one another, uh, that you love others as I have loved you. And here he's giving a, a, an illustration of this is what it means to love others as I have loved you. When I, uh, when I was, because think of it like this. When we were hungry, Jesus gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, Jesus gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, Jesus took me in. When I was naked, Jesus clothed me. When I was sick, he took care of me. When I was in prison, he visited me. And so now he's saying, now I want you to do what I would do for you as I would love you. I want you to do that for other people. I want my love to be present in you in the lives of other people. So now I want you to do these things. This is how you know you are in this covenant relationship with me. And if you don't do these things, then you are not in a covenant relationship with me. I don't know who you are. I don't I don't know what name you're think you're going to get into heaven by, but this is how I identify my servants. This is how I identify my followers. I identify them this way. And, uh, and, and, and so there's no, he doesn't mince words here. It's like this, is, but I, Satan comes in and deceives us and makes us believe that everything is okay and that everything is good in our life, uh, even though we're not doing anything showing no fruit whatsoever of being that we're the wicked and lazy servants who are not actually investing any of our talents into the kingdom. We are not reproducing uh, Jesus's wealth. Think of it like this. We, we are not taking what he gives to us and using it in his name to produce more for him. Uh, that's that's the parable of the talents is that these this, this these servants are taking their master's resources that their masters entrust them and they're taking it not to produce more for themselves but to produce more for him. It's in the when they are rewarded then he gives it to them but but they're doing it for him. It's like they present it to him and then he says uh, he says um, he says I will. He says, you are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Meaning, I saw what you did. I entrusted this to you. You were faithful with it. And now I'm going to entrust more to you. But if you kept what I gave you for you and just kept it for you, then you've got what's yours. And that's all you're going to get. There's nothing more uh, that I'm going to uh, share with you. And so, um, so anyway, we're going to come back in a second. We're going to look at um, some um, uh, questions uh, that come from this passage and, and some others as well. So we will be right back. We are back, and again, it's just me this week uh, in our special snow edition of the Understanding Jesus podcast, and that just simply means that Josh and Daniel are snowed in, and so I made it into the studio in order to record the podcast, and so uh, it's just me. But I do have a question that was uh, sent to us, uh, and uh, I want to uh, look at first. The question is from Proverbs 8, verses 1, 5, and 17, and the question is, why is it important to know, learn, seek things about God to love God? And so um, here is the uh, – here. let me read the verses to you. 
8.1 says this, doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? And verse 5 is, learn to be shrewd, you who are inexperienced. Develop common sense, you who are foolish. And finally, uh, verse 17 says, I love those who love me, and those who search for me find me. Now, the great part about this uh, question, uh, for one, why is it important to know, learn, seek things about God to love God? Uh, I, my, uh, I get, I'm not getting this myself. This is really from John Piper's Desiring God, and I'm not sure he ever says it specifically like this in that book, but it is the concept of the relationship I have with my wife probably teaches me more about this than anything. And he gives an illustration. I'm going to butcher this illustration, I'm sure, as I share it. But the uh, but he gives the illustration of like when we were buying uh, something for Valentine's Day, and we just have Valentine's Day, so it's kind of current. But we're buying our gift, uh, wife an anniversary gift or a Valentine's gift. And say we go to the store and we buy roses and we take them to her and we say, here's my obligatory gift uh, to you for Valentine's Day. I hope you are happy. And uh, that she's not going to be super thrilled with that type of presentation because she doesn't want us to give uh, to her because it's obligatory. Uh, it is um, it is our desire to uh, – she wants us to give it because we just love giving uh, to her because we have this passionate love relationship with her. Uh, and, uh, and he used the expression uh, Christian hedonism, which is an uh, odd expression. I'm not sure how much I like that yet still. But, uh, but anyway, the, the idea is, is that when I really love someone – I want to get to know them, and I want to not just get to know them, not just to get information to have where it's like, oh, okay, now I know how to do this, and and this is so this is what I do from everyone. But but instead, as in a relationship with a person, as you get to know them, you realize there's more to know than I will ever get to know. That there's always things I'm uncovering, always things I'm realizing uh, that I never knew before. Uh, I mean, Kim and I have been married for 31 and a half years, and still, it's not like I know everything about her. I still discover things. And some things, it's like sometimes her tastes have changed. Sometimes it's different. It's not that God's tastes change or whatever in my relationship with him, but God is so vast, and so there's so much to get to know that my love for him and desire for him to really be able to worship him and to really to show that I really do desire to love him, I have to learn him. I have to learn as much as there is to learn about him because I want to. Because that's – it's kind of like what do I get God for Christmas and what do I get God for Valentine's Day and what do I get God for, for his – I can't no, it doesn't have a birthday, but for our anniversary, my anniversary of when I first came to know him, what do I get God for all these things? Well, what do I get God every day when I come to worship him? The only way that I know have any sense of that whatsoever is by getting to know what his word says, what he reveals to me about himself. And so that's why we spend the time in the word, not just to have Bible knowledge, but because it gives us a greater, not to plug the podcast, a greater understanding of Jesus. Um, Jesus is the only the, the aspect of God that I know most because he reveals himself in, as a person, as a man. Well, not just as a person, but as a man. And, uh, and so 
he speaks our language. He looks like us and talks like us and acts like us. And, and, uh, and so we, we can learn so much through him. And so he speaks to us in terms that we can understand. I, I love it when the disciples say to him, when he stops speaking in parables as, he's in the, as they're in the upper room, and they're like, now you're speaking in language that we understand. You're speaking things that we, we get, and, and, and you're speaking to us plainly. Um, and that's what I appreciate about uh, the Gospels is because we, it takes a lot of the, the wisdom that was kind of encoded in the Old Testament begins, begins to become uh, clear to us. And, and I think that, uh, that this knowing him and, and, and seeking after him and wanting to know more about his wisdom and how to act and, and how God thinks and, and the things that are pleasing to him, this is just should be an effort of love. Now, my motivation is just sheerly I don't want to go to hell and I want to go to heaven. Um, that, that is a, that's a draw. And I, I'm not saying that we can't discover that, but, uh, but we are greatly limited in that relationship, if that's all we desire. If all I desire is what will keep me out of hell and get me into heaven, and that's what's the bare minimum I have to do, then that's like getting married and just simply saying, what's the bare minimum I have to do in order to have this marriage relationship just because I feel like I have to get married? It'd be like saying I, to stay in this country, I had to marry somebody, and so what's the bare minimum I have to do just to get the be able to stay in this country to be married to this person? What's the minimum amount that I have to contribute here in order to be faithful to the law? And uh, and, and there's no real relationship to that. Then you're missing something because you're never going to get to know how amazing that person is and the riches of that uh, relationship. Um, the uh, And with God, it's vastly, um, uh, you, you're missing out on so much. Um, I mean, like I said, I'm not saying that you won't go to heaven, those people won't go to heaven, but, uh, but, but I mean, to have the opportunity to spend, uh, to get to know the creator of the world, to get to know the one who knows us better than anyone else knows us, to, to get to know the mind of Christ, uh, and him and make that available. Um, I, I remember I had a, a dear pastor friend who, um, who said to me, um, I was, he was retired and I saw him at McDonald's one day and I said, Hey, you know, we should get together and have lunch sometime. Uh, thinking he was just busy and didn't have time for me. And he said, he looked at me and said, uh, I'm available all the time. Just let me know when you want to go eat lunch. And I was like, it kind of stunned me. And what I realized was, is it was he was not the busy one, I was the busy one, and here I had this amazing pastor who had all this wealth of experience, and 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 I just was too busy to even go eat lunch with him from time to time, uh, just to glean from that, uh, and that's the way it is in our relationship with God is that he's he's always available, what he's just waiting for us to come spend time with us. We I think maybe we think he's all busy working with the world, and doesn't have time for us. But every day when we come to him, if you set aside five hours in the morning, he will be there for those five hours. If you set aside 30 minutes in the morning, he will be there for those 30 minutes. If you only give him five minutes every day, he is there for those five minutes. Do you ever think of that? That God is always available. He always makes him available, himself available to meet with us, to be there with us through his word, through his Holy Spirit. And uh, and it's always on us. And so to have that access and that ability to get to know him, then a wise person uh, will set aside time in order to spend that time with the Lord. So great question, Josh. I, one, that one question I wanted to deal with, uh, we talked about it briefly, uh, and that is uh, in Matthew. Um, no one knows the date or the hour. 
and uh, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son. Now, this is kind of a two-parter question. One the question that's asked me is, does Jesus know everything? Is he like God? And uh, and so you get to a verse like this. You say, well, Jesus is God, so he knows everything like God. Then how could he not know the day or the hour? Which is a great question. And the way that uh, what Jesus did when he became a man is he set apart He's fully God. Understand, he, there's no, there's nothing that that Jesus, the Son of God, does not know. Uh, he knows everything. He is omniscient, uh, all knowing. Uh, he is all powerful. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent because he has all the attributes of God. But when he becomes a man, he sets aside some of these attributes, meaning he does not access them. He he has them. He just does willingly sets them aside from himself so as to be a man. So to become a man, he has to limit himself from these things. He humbled himself as a man, the word tells us. So that means he does not access his omniscience. He does not access his omnipresence. He limits himself to a particular space and time. He does not access access his omnipotence, meaning he allows himself to be crucified and to be beaten and so forth and to be maligned or whatever. And uh, and so, and so, but in setting aside his omniscience, he does. He has access to this information, but he withholds himself, withholds the information from himself, uh, so that it is only the Father who knows. So that he is going through this process, only knowing what we know, or, or, and, and as far as this is concerned. So neither the angel of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone, uh, alone knows when the hour uh, is coming, when he is returning for us. And then he's and then he sets it up, uh, you know, that there's going to be there will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage. Uh, they don't know. They didn't know when the flood was going to come away. But uh, and then he says, it gives an interesting. He says two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, be on alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Now, this is a uh, definitely a left behind uh, rapture passage that people use all the time. But uh, understand, we we speak that into this passage. It doesn't say uh, that. In fact, it doesn't really say for sure uh, which is good. It says, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Notice it doesn't say whether the one taken will be getting something good or the one being left will be getting something good. So is he uh, is the one being taken being judged and uh, and then the one left being rewarded, or is the one being taken being given something good, and the one being left being rewarded? It doesn't say. Uh, it just says that it's going to be sudden, um, and so this is how it's going to be. Meaning there is going to be a separation, and 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 notice he is getting ready to go into. Uh, the parable of the sheep and the goats, where he's gonna, they're going to be divided. So he's going to say there's going to be two people here. One is going to be put in one place, and one's going to be put in the other. And uh, and the um, and then we are going to be judged accordingly. But but the point is, we do not know what day our Lord is coming, um, and and to be uh, prepared to be prepared for that. Um, and he says, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. Uh, this is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So um, so we need to be on the alert. 
Um, but don't um, – the point there was is just don't don't read in that this – build a whole theology just because you've um, – just don't think in terms of that one moment we're all going to be standing there. One of us is going to be missing and their clothes are going to be folded in a neat pile on a chair or whatever. Those are details that people have thought up and so forth. If that happens, well, then, yeah, okay, we'll go. Uh, that's that's what that means. But we don't know what it means uh, at this point. He's really just trying to stress to us that uh, the point is is that we need to be doing the work that God has called us to do. We need to be faithful day in, day out uh, in our service. In fact, that's when he goes into the faithful service to Christ uh, answer, uh, that we are blessed is the one who is doing what his master told him to do when the master comes. So, you know, the, the idea is don't, don't get trying to think of when this is going to happen. I, I I don't understand how so many of us can read this passage and know that no one knows the day or the hour. I know someone said, well, th- he doesn't say we don't know the week. Well, it's just, that's just silly. Uh, that's nonsensical to say that. I mean, he, I think he would have said no one knows the week, no one knows the year, uh, if we wanted to get into that. No one knows the uh, whatever, uh, the month. The... Um, but the point is, is that we don't know when he is returning, that we are to be faithful in service to him all the time. The, the key is that we are not spending all our try, time trying to figure out when he's trying to come back. Just be faithful to be doing what he told you to do. And then you don't have to worry about when he will come back because all is good. It's like when your parents leave you at home and say, hey, I want you to work on cleaning the garage. You don't. The only reason you want to know what time they're going to be back is so you can turn up loud music and play video games for as long as you possibly can, trying to figure out how do we do everything at the last second in order to make them happy. If you simply say, no, we're just going to do what our parents told us to do, then you don't have to worry about when they're going to come back. Because you, when they come back, whenever they come back, you'll be doing exactly what they ask you to do, and they will say, well done, good and faithful children. And so that's that's our last word here on this podcast is let us, no matter what is happening, no matter what's going on, doesn't matter uh, whether there's a coronavirus, doesn't matter whether there's uh, a political upheaval, doesn't matter if we're invaded by a foreign country, natural disaster strikes, doesn't matter what happens as long as you and I are being faithful to do what our master has asked us to do. As long as we're feeding hungry people, making sure people are clothed, making sure that they're the thirsty are given something to drink, making people sure people have shelter. We're looking after our brothers and sisters, loving our brothers and sisters as Jesus has loved us. If we are doing this all the way up to the end, uh, then all is good. God says you were faithful with the little that I entrusted to you, and now I want to reward you with much. Well, thanks for being with us, and uh, next week, hopefully, we'll all be here on the next Understanding Jesus podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.